Good morning, everyone. It's good to see everybody here this morning. It's good to hear the chatter. It's time to begin our worship service. We'd like to begin thanking each one and everyone that's here, especially those of you that are visiting with us. We'd like to invite you back this evening at 6 p.m. for our evening service. And if you're in the area next week, we have potluck. If you need something to eat right after church when everybody's starved, we'll have it for you. So we'd invite you for that. A couple things before we begin. Riverview Christian Academy is now accepting applications for kindergarten through the third grade. This is a good thing. It really is. Something we thought of here years ago and, and never got to it, but this is, this is really a good thing. If you can uh, help in any way, I'm sure they'd appreciate it. And this advertisement is not prompted by them. It's just something that, it's just a plain good thing. Also on the back of your bulletin, you'll see the prayer list for here at the congregation. If you keep that where you can pray for each individual that's here on, on the list, I'm sure they'd appreciate it. Also, if you had silenced your cell phones at this time, your neighbor would appreciate it. As we begin this morning, before we begin, I'd like to read Matthew 6. Verses 33, 34 through 7, 4, if you'd like to follow along. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added to you. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Judge not that you be not judged, for with what judgment you judge, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. And why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not consider the plank in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let, let me remove the speck from your eye, and look, a plank is in your own eye. Would you bow with me, please? Father, we are thankful for this beautiful day of life you've given us, for your son who came and died for each and every one of us. We ask, Father, that you bless us in this worship service this morning, that the things we do will be pleasing unto you in accordance with your will. We ask that you be with Chris as he presents us with a lesson and as we surround the table to remember your son who came and died on the cross for us and was raised again. We ask your blessings on our sick and our shut-ins. Be with those that have lost loved ones. Bless our, our members that are traveling today. Give them safe passage home. Go with us through this service. Forgive us of our sins. In thy son's name we pray and amen. Would you stand for the first song, please?
before we begin, Children's Bible Hour today will just be for the two, three, and four-year-olds. So, Children's Bible Hour, two, three, and four-year-olds <clears throat> for this morning. Praise Him, praise Him. <clears throat> 532. Praise Him, praise Him, Jesus our blessed Redeemer, sing over His wonderful love. Next hymn this morning, number 25, All Things Praise Thee, number 25. <clears throat> and after this hymn, Brother Steve Wallace will have a reading and, reading and prayer. All things praise thee, Things inside of him are high. 
Good morning. Scripture reading for this morning will be from the book of John, chapter 3. John, chapter 3, beginning at verse number 19. <clears throat> and this is the condemnation, that the light has come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. For everyone practicing evil hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his deeds should be exposed. But he who does the truth comes to the light that his deeds may be clearly seen that they have been done in God. Would you pray with me, please? Dear God, our Father in heaven, we thank you for the blessing of another day of life. And we're grateful, Lord, for this time that we've had have this morning to gather together with our brothers and sisters in Christ, thankful for the, the fellowship that, that we can share, and we are grateful for the opportunity we have to praise uh, your great and awesome name this morning. Lord, we thank you for all the many blessings that you've given to us in our lives. We want to uh, return that in thanks and praise uh, to you this morning. Lord, we pray that uh, you would be with those uh, on our prayer list, those that have been mentioned. Uh, we pray your blessings on Terry Leap, Amber Spitzer, Jim Haney, Jimmy Wilgus, all those uh, that are in our uh, prayer list this week. We pray you would bless those folks, uh, bring, bring them uh, back to health, Pray for those that are not able to be with us, that uh, uh, need encouragement. We pray that you would bless those according to your will. God, we pray that uh, your blessing on the activities of the church here as we go into the summer months, we pray uh, your blessing on the activities as we reach out to others uh, for success in the mission trips and for uh, vacation Bible school and all of the other activities we pray uh, that we will be able be able to influence others to come to Christ Lord we uh, pray that uh, the message that's proclaimed here this morning would uh, would encourage uh, encourage us and strengthen us to go out and uh, proclaim the good news to others Lord we pray that you would please uh, forgive us of those times when we fall short of your glory, we, uh, we are so thankful for the gift of your son and uh, his sacrifice that gives us the forgiveness of sin and, and the hope of eternal life. And we're, we uh, thank you for that uh, blessing and we look forward to that day that we can have a home with you in heaven. These are our prayers in Jesus' name. Amen. Next hymn this morning, number 300, I will sing of my Redeemer.
We'll sing the first three verses. <clears throat> I will sing of my Redeemer and His promise love to Thee. On the cruel cross He suffered from the curse to set me free. come to the time in our worship service where we surround the table and we take our mind back to the cross and remember Jesus. To help you prepare to, your mind to do that, I'd like to read what Paul wrote to the Ephesians in chapter 2, starting in verse 1. And you, he made alive, who were dead in the trespasses and sin, and once you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit, and now works of the son of the disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath and lust as others. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, he made us 
alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Jesus Christ. That in the ages to come he might show the exalted riches of his grace in his kindness towards us in Jesus Christ. For by grace you have been saved through faith and that not yourselves, it is the gift of God. God gave us a gift. He gave us his son to walk, to teach, to be sacrificed and die for us. And it's through his death, burial, and resurrection that Jesus took our sins to the cross and he afforded us the opportunity to live with him in heaven. Just as Jesus did in that upper room with his disciples on that night. He instituted the Lord's Supper. He took two very simple items, unleavened bread and fruit of the vine. The unleavened bread represented his body. The fruit of the vine represented his shed blood, the blood that washes away our sins. And they told them when he was up there that as often as they do this, to do this in remembrance of him. And as we prepare our minds, let us too remember Remember the gift that God gave us in his son, our savior, Jesus Christ. Let us go to God in prayer. Our gracious heavenly father, we thank you for this day, for this opportunity to remember your son who died for our sins. And father, we ask that you bless this bread, which represents his body. And it's in his name that we pray, amen.
us pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Father, as we continue to remember your son, the gift that you gave us, let us do it in a manner that's pleasing to thy sight. Father, we ask that you bless this fruit of the vine, which represents Jesus' shed blood, the blood that washes away our sins. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. nobody's been overlooked, this concludes the Lord's Supper. Separate and apart, we've also been commanded to return a portion of as we have prospered. Let us go to God in prayer. Our Father in heaven, we are so thankful for all the things that you bestow upon us. Father, we know that all good things come from you. Father, let us have an open and cheerful and giving heart as we return a portion to you, that it may be used in a manner that's pleasing, a manner that will bring people to your church to follow you. 
Father, we ask that you be with the elders and the decisions that they make. And we ask all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's all please stand again. We'll sing hymn number 236, His Yoke is Easy. Again, at this time, the children's Bible hour is just the two, three, and four-year-olds will have class. <clears throat> First three verses. I found my Lord and he is mine. He won me by his love. Invitation to him for this morning, number 50. Are you washed in the blood? Number 50. Brother Chris. 
Good morning. It's good to see each one of you with us this morning. Um, we have just a couple of housekeeping items uh, on the agenda before we get into our lesson. Uh, we will have a um, family mission trip meeting right after services. Let's do it kind of right over here, I guess. Um, right after services are over. If you're interested in coming on the mission trip, uh, we will meet right over here. And you don't have to be uh, a teenager. It's for families, little kids. Like, I'm going to take my entire family. So Hannah's got something to do there. Um, but if you're a grandparent or not connected to a family here, you're welcome to come too. We'll have stuff for you to do as well. Um, so right after services on these first couple of pews here. All right. We are in a series we're calling Villains. And today we're in Acts chapter 13. So go ahead and grab your Bibles and be turning to Acts chapter 13. We're talking about a guy named Elimus today. Elimus has a couple different names. You're going to find that out as we go through uh, the lesson today. Depending on your translation, he may be called Bar-Jesus. Um, but he is not the son of Joshua. And we'll talk more about that in just a second. Acts chapter 13 is where you find this guy, though. And so that there's, there's Elimus. Um, maybe you've heard the saying, you can't see the forest for the trees. Sometimes we focus so much on one thing, we can't see the obvious thing that's right there in front of us. The picture on the screen in front of me is um, from the, the TV show Hoarders. So if you've ever seen that show, you, you're probably familiar with this, uh, this scene. But I wanted to read you an excerpt uh, from a, uh, an article that talks about um, this, this TV show. It's a show about perfectly normal-looking people who live in a perfectly normal-looking house who become overwhelmed by their possessions. Their problems start with when what appears to be an innocent collection of baseball cards takes over the attic. Meanwhile, a pile of magazines stashed in a closet forces its way into the hallway before claiming the living room. But that's nothing compared to the stacks of bargains, beautiful new clothes with price tags attached, shiny red blenders, and Star Wars figures still in their boxes, all of which conspire to push the car out of the garage and into the front yard. Add in a few bags of trash that can't find their way to the curb for pickup, and the next thing anyone knows, the people residing in the house are trapped. Most end up sleeping on top of a pile of dirty clothes because they can no longer find their beds. Of course, the situation wouldn't have gotten so bad if their army of non-neutered cats hadn't continued to spawn new litters of kittens. Before the occupant, occupants knew what happened, their house became a mewing, mildewy, macabre mess. A mess you'd think they loved to be rescued from, but no. When a concerned family member tries to remove so much as a cobweb, the trapped inhabitant protests. But that's Sylvia, my favorite spider. I couldn't possibly part with her. Her work has been hanging on my walls for years. But by the end of the show, after a professional cleanup team sorts through the massive contents of the house, clears away the carcasses of a few expired pets, and hauls away the trash, a miracle happens. With their belongings no longer piled to the ceiling, the homeowners walk from room to room admiring the fact that, yes, their, couch, or their house does have a floor and even a couch you can sit on. One woman gushes, I have so much space that I can now open my refrigerator door. While a man admits, with hallways passable, I don't have to use the outdoor toilet in the backyard. Another amazed homeowner looks around at her now livable space and says, I had no idea I'd let things get so bad. Really? 
you, you didn't notice the smell of your dead pets or that you had to climb over a mountain of clothes and newspapers to get to the kitchen. Somehow, I believe there are admissions of blindness because I've seen this same blindness at work in my own life. It's true, isn't it? Often we don't, we don't see what's right in front of us, what's so obvious, what's right in front of us because there's, we're, we're focusing on something else. And so maybe you've seen some of that in your own life as well. That's, that's going to be what we're talking about today. But before we get too, too far into, into that, the, the application part, of our lesson, let me tell you this story that you find in Acts chapter 13. You're going to want to start in verse 1 because it really introduces this section. Now, there, there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers. Now, so you, you've moved from the Jerusalem church, and now, now we're not focusing so much on the church in Jerusalem as we are this Antioch congregation. Um, they will become in this passage, uh, Paul's home church. And so they're going to be the ones that send him out to do all those, those missionary journeys that, that he's focused on. That's this congregation. And in that congregation, there are several prophets and teachers. Barnabas, you remember him from Jerusalem, right? He's the son of encouragement. He's there. Simeon, who was called Niger. Lucius of Cyrene. Menean, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch. That's an interesting this guy's got to be an interesting guy because he's a believer, a leader in the church, a prophet and or a teacher, but he's also a lifelong friend of the guy that beheaded John the Baptist. So this guy uh, has, has come full circle, hasn't he? Uh, he doesn't share Herod's worldview or his, uh, his fallacies. In fact, he is a leader in the church. And then dragging up the rear is a guy that you know by the name of Saul. And that's going to be important the, every time... In Scripture, when you find a list of guys' names, it's important. So you're going to want to underline Saul and the fact that he's last in this particular list. And Barnabas first. While they were worshiping, so they're, they're sitting there on a Sunday, much like, much like ours. So while they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and, and sent them off. Uh, so they're not imparting miraculous gifts. They're these, these apostles and prophets, the, the church in Antioch is, is giving their um, accreditation to Saul and Barnabas. Uh, they're giving their okay. They want things to go well. This is a good thing uh, for them. It's a good thing for the kingdom. And so they're, they're laying their hands on them to, as, a, as an act of encouragement, essentially. And so... They are equip, uh, partnering this with praying and with fasting. And so they're excited about this new work that, that the Holy Spirit has outlined for Barnabas and Saul. The very first place they go is a place called Cyprus. And so they, they, you find them going out there in verse 4. And they're going to set, uh, set their course. And they're going to go all the way through the island of Cyprus. And it's an interesting story here. But they, they start off in, uh, in Salamis right there beside of Antioch, it's a port city of Antioch, and they proclaim the word of God uh, in the synagogues of the Jews. This is their general mo. This is how they this is how they function, uh, and there John was to assist them. This is the John Mark who will very soon leave this company. In verse six, when they had gone through the whole island as far as Paphos, they came upon a certain magician, a Jewish false prophet named Bar Jesus. 
He was with the proconsul Sergius Paulus, a man of intelligence, who summoned Barnabas and Saul and sought to hear the word of God. So Sergius Paulus is really the guy we need to start with, I guess. Um, he is the governor, essentially, of Cyprus. He's, he's the, 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 the head honcho. He's the guy in charge, um, at least the, the Roman head uh, there in the island of Sa- uh, Cyprus. He lives in, in Paphos, uh, where... Saul and Barnabas have finally made their way to. Sergius Paulus is a historical character. Of course, he's a historical character. We find him in Scripture. But I wanted you to know that history has found this guy. Uh, so here on the, uh, the long, thin uh, monument uh, on the screen behind me talks about a uh, proconsul Paulus. Uh, and it's talking about this guy in the past tense because when this was written in the mid-50s, about 54 A.D., uh, it's looking back on events that have happened back in the 40s. Now, what's interesting about this is the 40s is exactly when Paul and Barnabas would have been coming through Paphos. And, uh, this reference to the governor, the proconsul Paulus, uh, during the mid-40s, it's, it's spot on. Um, the other one, the one that's uh, a little bit more, uh, it's got, you can see the wear on it a lot better, I guess. Uh, also mentions a guy named Lucius Sergius Paulus. It's our governor. This guy was uh, in charge of uh, the Tiber River. This, this river floods this area around Crete. Um, the Tiber River runs through it, and it would flood regularly. And so they appointed several directors, engineers, I suppose, uh, that would function to keep that river from flooding. I don't know if this is an association with his governor. Like this is one of his, his bullet points. If you're the governor, you got to keep people from fighting. Don't let the river overrun either. And you got to keep all the chickens in line. Like I don't, I don't know if this is part of his job description as governor. Um, or maybe it's a demotion. This guy's going to come to faith. Uh, and so this, this one, this particular monument was uh, created after the 40s and on into the 50s A.D., uh, and so it's looking at a time past when Saul and Barnabas would have left this region, past when um, Sergius Paulus comes to faith. Uh, so he's converted through their work there. And, and maybe the Romans uh, could have possibly demoted him uh, and made him this uh, director of, of the river or whatever. Point being is that we found this guy, and this isn't all the references to him in history. They found several references to Sergius Paulus in history that was on the island of, of uh, Cyprus during the exact same time period that our guy in Acts 13 is on the island of Cyprus as the proconsul, the governor. So this guy is historical, and he's just one more fact in Scripture that is backed up in history. Of course, it is because the Bible is true, right? I just wanted to point that out very quickly for us. Now, let's, let's move on to Barnabas and Saul. So this, we indicated earlier that this, um, this lineup of their names is important. And so you might want to underline Barnabas there at the beginning uh, of this list of teachers and prophets and Saul at the end of it, though that's important. You find it there in verse 1 uh, with their names, Barnabas at the beginning, Saul at the end. And you find it again. In Acts 13, verse 7, um, the man called for Barnabas, who's, who's apparently really the key speaker. He's, he's the most prominent guy. 
Uh, and then he also called for Saul, because they're together, and he wants both of them. But Barnabas is really the more prominent of the two. And this comes out in lists in the New Testament, and you know it does, right? Who's always the first apostle listed in Scripture? Every time it's Peter, right? Every time. Every time a, a, a list of the apostles is given, it's always Peter first and then on down the line, right? Peter's the most prominent. Uh, he may not be the smartest. He, uh, he's certainly not the most, um, uh, the one who's, who's the, the thinker. Um, he is the most prominent, though. And so his name is listed first. You see that here with, with Barnabas. In this company, Saul is not the most prominent. Wonder why. Um, it's interesting. After this event, after the event that we're talking about today with Elimus and Sergius Paulus, Paul will always be the first. Whenever Paul is mentioned in a list, it's always Paul and whoever else is in there. He, he will become the most prominent figure in whatever group he's in. And to the extent that even in this chapter, it will be Paul and his co-workers. Barnabas isn't even mentioned. John Mark isn't, isn't even mentioned to the extent that, that Paul has become so prominent. Now, I have opinions about why this is. Um, I think it probably has something to do with his, um, the guilt and the shame that, um, that, he, that he endured because of his persecution of the church. I think his, his outspokenness, his personality, um, he forces it into the background out of shame, out of guilt, maybe out of, um, out of some sort of um, uh, humility. I think, I think he's pulling himself back, not allowing himself to, to run to the forefront because the last time he ran to the forefront, you know what he did? He started killing Christians. And so he's not, he's not, he's not going to do that anymore. That's just my opinion. Um, that makes, that's what makes sense to me. But after this point, he's going to be the most prominent because now he's seen the church needs his prominence. Uh, the, church, the church needs his, 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 um, his eloquence, his, his character, his personality, his drive, his passion. That can be used for good. Too. And so he's going to become the most prominent member uh, in this group. Elimus. You met this guy just, just a second ago, and we, we read over his name very quickly, but maybe, maybe you were called to attention there by his name, Bar-Jesus. It means son of. Bar is son of, right? But Jesus isn't Jesus like you think. He's not, he's not talking about the Savior, right? He's not talking about Jesus Christ. It, it's it's more like Yahshuah, which is Jesus' name in Hebrew. It, so he's really saying, son of Joshua. And you remember Joshua, of course. He is the prominent leader in the Old Testament who took the reins from Moses or was given the reins uh, of Israel from Moses. And so this guy is claiming to be a character, a personality, a drive like Joshua's. But he's nothing like Joshua. This guy doesn't have um, the characteristics of the Old Testament leader, Joshua, who was always focused on what was best for Israel. Uh, what was always, he was always focused on um, following God. These things, this incredible faith that he had that moved the children of Israel out of the wilderness and took over Canaan, that faith in Joshua is not in Elimus. In fact, uh, in just a little bit, Paul's going to call him, you're not the son of Joshua, you're the son of the devil. You act more like the devil than you do like Joshua. Certainly you're not like Joshua, you're much, much more like Satan. 
Why does he call him that? Well, Elimus is going to be the guy who constantly opposes Saul and Barnabas' attempts at conversion of Sergius Paulus. This is going to happen on multiple occasions. We're not told, um, we're, not, we're not given those occasions in Scripture, but from the way um, the tense of the verbs that he uses in Acts 13, we understand that this is continuous action. He's doing this all the time, multiple times. He opposes uh, their conversion. He's always standing in the way. He's always trying to trip them up. He's always trying to throw a monkey wrench into um, Sergius Paulus's conversion. He's always got something to say. That's what this guy is. And he's clever. Man, he's sneaky. Uh, in fact, Paul says this, this guy is full of all deceit and villainy. This is a bad guy. Um, you're supposed to see, you're supposed to understand Paul saying to this guy, there's no redeeming trait in you. You are only evil all the time. Remember like the people before the flood, all they thought was evil all the time. That's what Paul's claiming about this guy, Elimus. He's all evil all the time. Just stop your talking and listen for a minute. He's blind, right? He can't see. Just like the people uh, in, our, in our illustration earlier that, uh, that live in the hoarder houses, the there's, there's, they can't see the forest for the trees. There's, they're focused on one thing, and they can't see what's obvious in front of them, the mountain of, of clothes that are on their bed, and they, they have to sleep on them. They can't see those things because they're focused on the collections or whatever. Elimus is focused on keeping his position. He is the advisor for lack of a better term, to, Eli to, uh, to uh, Sergius Paulus. Romans, during this point in history, are incredibly superstitious. Uh, and so if you can find an, astron an astronomer, a magician, someone who has some sort of black arts degree or ha has some sort of um, divination um, or at least can claim these things, these guys are much more likely to listen to you and so that gives you a vaunted position, right? That gives, that gives you money. That gives you power because now you're the advisor to the governor of an entire island. And so he does not want to lose that role. In fact, that's why he opposes Barnabas and Saul's conversion, their, their attempts at conversion of Paulus, of Sergius Paulus, the governor. He does not want to lose his position. And he knows that if Paulus is converted, if the governor is converted, who's he going to listen to? He's going to listen to this, this Barnabas and Saul, and he's going to listen to this Jesus, and he's not going to listen to Elimus because Elimus doesn't have any power. And so time and time again, Elimus is going to try to throw obstacles, obstacles in the path of Sergius Paulus' uh, conversion. And finally, Paul's going to get tired of it. Saul's going to get tired of it. And this is when he becomes, at least takes on the moniker of Paul. Check it out in verse 9. But Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him and said, You son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, full of all deceit and villainy, will you stop making crooked the straight paths of the Lord? That is one of the few um, harshest statements 
in Scripture, right? Um, there, there are several of them, uh, but this may be one of, one of the harshest, especially when it's, it's spoken from man to man. If you just stop talking long enough, this guy could see the truth, but here you are throwing up obstacles so that he won't believe. Paul is furious. You're supposed to see the fury. You're supposed to see um, this, this righteous anger in Paul. And so, verse 11, Paul's still speaking. And now, behold, the hand of the Lord is upon you. Jesus is about to do something to you. It's not Paul, it's, this is a miraculous thing. Jesus is about to do something to you. And you will be blind and unable to see the sun for a time. And immediately mist and darkness fell upon him. And he went about seeking people to lead him by the hand. And so exactly what happened to Saul when he met Jesus on the road to Tarsus has now happened to Elimus. Paul was blind. Saul was blind for three days, right? Do you remember this? And he was told to go meet a guy named Ananias in Damascus. And when... He met him, the scales fell off Paul's eyes. The exact same thing is happening now to this false teacher, this false prophet. He's blind, but he's more than physically blind. God does this quite a few times throughout Scripture. Um, it's going to happen during the Gospels when Jesus meets a man um, and he... he, he he heals him partially, and then he, he heals him fully. You probably remember the story, but he does this repeatedly throughout Scripture, with, especially with blind people, when he uses their physical blindness as a metaphor for what they can't see spiritually. And that's exactly what's going on with Elimus here. He is physically blind now, but the physical blindness is just a representation of the spiritual blindness he's been in for so long, he doesn't even know he's blind. Who is this guy? Well, he's a sorcerer, right? He's a magician. And magicians, this kind of, this kind of black arts, have been uh, out of vogue, have been outlawed in Israel for about a thousand years by the time Elimus comes along. Remember, Saul is the one uh, that, that started kicking out all these mediums toward the end of his life. Saul actually uses a medium. You're supposed to see the irony there as well. Um, but for a thousand years, literally a thousand years, sorcery, these, these magicians have been outlawed in Israel. And here is a child of Abraham. He's a Jewish person who is a magician. And so he is on the outs. He, he's, um, he's in rebellion against God. Sin has a way of doing that to us, doesn't it? It, it, it dulls our spiritual awareness. And that's what's going on with, with Elimus here. Check out uh, Exodus chapter 8. Uh, starting in verse 8. Exodus 8, verse 8 through 15. <coughs> Excuse me. Pharaoh is going to have this exact same type of spiritual blindness and he's going to have plagues remember there's 10 of them right um, but on the first couple specifically the one about frogs it's, it's in the first I think it's number two um, 
the frogs are so overwhelming in Egypt that Pharaoh calls it off. He says, I'll let the children of Israel go. Um, they, they can go worship Yahweh however they want. Just, just get these frogs out of my country. And he pleads with Moses to take the frogs away. And so Moses goes to Yahweh and he pleads with them to, to take the frogs away. And they're taken away. But when Pharaoh sees that the frogs are gone, when he, when he sees that, that the reprieve is coming, you know what the Bible says that he does? You should go back and read this. Exodus 8, 8 through 15, he hardens his heart. You know what that means? Like To use our terms today, he's spiritually blind. It's not something that's happened to him. It's something he's done to himself. He has chosen to rebel against God. That's what sin does to us. If you allow it to hang out in you long enough, eventually sin will lead to rebellion. Outright rebellion against God. So sin has to be removed from us. Uh, the same thing happens in John chapter 9. This is the, the, one of the references we were talking about earlier uh, with blind men meeting Jesus. This guy in John chapter 9, he meets Jesus. Jesus heals him, right? This guy gets uh, called into the, in front of the Sadducees and in front of the Pharisees, the ruling council, and they question him. And they really come down on, well, were you really blind in the first place? Let's go find your parents and we'll figure out whether you're really blind in the first place. He's been sitting at the gate for like 40 years or something. But they, they bring his parents in and question them. Was he really blind from, from day one, from birth? And they're like, yeah, he was. You should go ask him because we, we don't really want any part of this. You go talk to him. He can talk for himself. And so they go back over and they ask him. And he says, well, guys, I, I've been blind all my life. And there's a guy over there who said, stop being blind. And I wasn't blind anymore. And so I think you should listen to him. And he starts trying to convert the Pharisees, right? And they kick him out and they just refuse to see. They just refuse to see. They don't want to see. That's the purpose of miracles is to get your attention so that you listen to the teaching. The miracle was never supposed to be in and of itself. It was never the point. It was to grab your attention so that you would listen to the teaching. These guys saw the miracle and threw the teaching away. They missed the whole point, right? They refused to see. It wasn't a, uh, a lack of um, physical ability. It wasn't a lack of spiritual ability. It was a conscious choice that they had made. They had chosen to stop seeing. They had chosen to stay right where they were. This is exactly what Elimus has done. He's chosen spiritual blindness. Here it is again. If you allow sin to hang out in your life long enough, rebellion will be the only consequence. It will be, it will be the only outcome of allowing sin to hang out in your heart this long. You remember the story of Saul in 1 Samuel chapter 15. Saul has been a fairly capable king uh, for a couple of decades at this point. He's Israel's first king, but he's told to go and destroy. Don't leave anyone alive among the Amalekites. And so he goes and he brings back Agag and their king, several hostages, and a lot of their sheep and, and, uh, and animals. And Samuel comes up to him and he says, well, did, you, did you do what God told you to do? 
Because I'm hearing an awful lot of sheep bleeding. Not bleeding, bleating, bang. <laughs> so I'm hearing an awful lot of sheep noises in the background. And I don't think you did what God told you to do. And Samuel starts making, or Saul starts making excuses. Because that's another thing that sin pulls us into. He starts making excuses because he's spiritually blind. He's chosen to be spiritually blind. And so he starts making these excuses. And, and Saul, Samuel says, God's taking the kingdom away from you. He, he's ripping the kingdom away from you. Just like Saul, as Samuel was walking away, Saul grabs Samuel's uh, robe and it rips. And Samuel looks back at him and says, God's ripping the kingdom away from you. Just like you ripped my robe, God's ripping the kingdom away from you because of this sin, because of your constant rebellion against him. He's ripping the kingdom away from you. Now, where does this leave us? What does this story mean to us? I think this is what this story means to us. Ridding ourselves of complacency and compromise is a necessity if we will not be spiritually blind. We cannot afford to land up in the exact same spot as Elimus or Saul or the Pharisees, right? Nobody wants to be in that group. Certainly nobody in this room wants to be numbered among those men. How do we keep ourselves out of that group? We got to stop with the complacency and we got to stop with the compromises. If you've ever said to yourself, I'll just do this, this just this once. That's a compromise, isn't it? And you know what that compromise leads to? One more compromise. And one more compromise. And one more until you find yourself spiritually blind, having the kingdom ripped away from you, like Saul did. If you've ever said, it would be crazy to fill in the blank, or certainly God isn't asking this of me. That, that's complacency, isn't it? What happened, what happened to Elimus when he was spiritually blind? God struck him with blindness, right? Physical blindness. So he's got to grab somebody's hand and they, they work as a, as a guide to him. Wherever he needs to go, he has to have someone's help to get there now for a time. Why do you think that, that happened to him? Just like it happened to Saul. Why do you think that happened to him? I think it's, <clears throat> I think it's this big, visceral punishment that's ha happened to him. It's radical. It, it's, it's wild what's happened to him. Certainly, certainly this will get his attention. I don't know if it does or not, but you would think that it would. I'm reminded of Zacchaeus when uh, Jesus comes to Jericho and he meets Zacchaeus. What does Zacchaeus do? Salvation's come to this house this day. Why does Jesus say that about Zacchaeus? Well, if I've defrauded anyone, and he has, if I've defrauded anyone, I'm going to give back four times what I've taken from them. That's radical, right? He's going above and beyond. Sometimes we just want to get, we just want to do just enough. I want to be just enough. I don't want to, I don't want to go crazy. I don't want to be, I don't want to be out of the box. You know, I don't want to, I don't, I don't want this to hurt too much. I just, I just want to do just enough to get by with God. 
That's not how it works, is it? He, he demands radical change in us. And so you see Zacchaeus there giving away half of his stuff <clears throat> and giving back to anyone that he had defrauded four times. Um, the movie that's on the screen behind me, Fireproof, maybe, maybe you've seen it. If not, you should go back and see it. It's, it's a good movie about marriage and the sacrifices that are necessary to make there. But Kurt Cameron's character struggles with lust. Um, and it's the outlet he's used is, is his computer. Um, and so to get rid of that temptation, you know what he does? He doesn't just turn the computer off. You know what he does? He takes it out to the driveway and he takes a baseball bat to it and he bashes it. Because this kind of complacency and compromise only comes out of us through radical means. We can't have half measures. That's why Elimus, I'm convinced, that's why Elimus was struck with blindness. Because he needed something radical to wake him up and to remind him. You need to radically follow. When Jesus talks about realizing you're spiritually blind and that your hand is the problem. Do you remember this passage? And your hand is the problem. You know what he tells you to do with your hand? Cut it off. If your eye's the problem, what do you do? You pluck it out. He's, I, don't, I don't think he's talking literally there, but he is trying to get across to us the radical nature of our repentance. It can never just be half measures. It can never be, well, how much is, is, is enough? That's what, that's what we always want to know, right? How, how close can I get and not actually fall? Is it this close? Is it this close? How close can I get and not actually fall? God doesn't work like that. He says, I want, us, I want you to see how close you can get to me. Not how close you can get to sin. Complacency and compromise are our enemies. And they will drive you. They will help you along into spiritual blindness. In Numbers chapter 25, Israel is going through some, some, some uh, sexual sins. Some immorality is going on. They've married foreign women, and, and the um, immorality of this type is, is being flaunted. They're proud of it. Um, and so Phineas, Eleazar's son, he's, he's the grandson of, of Aaron. He takes a spear, and he finds a guy who, who is committing um, this act with uh, a foreign wife, and he spears them. And all of Israel just kind of stops because of the radical nature of this Punishment. Well, this radical sin needed a radical punishment. Complacency and compromise will get in your way of actually seeing Christ. And you'll find yourself in Elimus' position, or in Saul's position, or in the Pharisee's position. Complacency and compromise lead us there. Radical repentance is what's necessary. Don't see how close you can get to sin. See how close you can get to Him, to God. Today, if you're struggling, we want to pray for you that you can be everything that God would have you to be. Uh, if you've not been baptized, you're still lost in your sin, but that isn't a condition you have to stay in. That's, that's a, uh, a temporary, possibly a temporary condition. Those sins can be washed away through the power of baptism, but that's, that's the only way they can be alleviated from you. There's no other path that you can take only through immersion to have those sins washed away. Can you be saved from your sins?
This morning, maybe you've already made that step and you just need the prayers of this congregation to, to live in a radical way so that we're not radically punished. If you have any need this morning, why won't you come as we stand and sing? morning church family hope everybody's doing all right if you're visiting with us uh, we're glad you're here to worship with us this morning if you can take out a visitor card in front of you uh, hand maybe hand it to a member beside you or drop it in one of the boxes in the back we'd greatly appreciate that so that way we can have a record of your attendance with us this morning a couple announcements before we are dismissed uh, hometown love at the fairgrounds was uh, canceled for this saturday it's been pushed back uh, till this saturday at 9 o'clock, May 20th. May 20th, okay, sorry, May 20th, uh, push back to May 20th at 9 o'clock, if you want to help volunteer for that, please see Chris, um, also uh, today, if you're planning on going to the family mission trip in Beckley, uh, there's a small meeting up front, up front uh, with Chris, it should be about a 10 minute meeting, so if you're planning on going to that, please meet up here. Also, April 24th through the 26th will be the Flatwoods Gospel Meeting. Um, also, April 30th, as Jerry mentioned earlier, is our potluck. Everyone is welcome to come to that. We'd love to have you bring a friend, a family member with you. We'd love to um, sit down and join a meal with you after that. We'll have 1 o'clock service, no 6 o'clock service. And then at 2 o'clock, we'll be going to Wingate to sing there. Uh, May 6th uh, is uh, the 
here at the building is at 5 p.m. from preschool to fifth grade will be building birdhouses here at the building. Um, also, uh, team lock-in on May 12th at 10 o'clock. Um, and May 21st is our senior reception. Uh, you have Blake graduating, Lucy graduating, Mason graduating, and Steeler gradu graduating. Uh, so uh, that's for our senior receptions, our, and we'll be celebrating uh, their life and their accomplishments uh, that evening on that Sunday. Uh, life Group 1, that's Rick and Chad's Life Group, will be meeting May 21st in the old, old auditorium for their monthly meeting. And if you can help out mowing uh, the church grounds, we'd greatly appreciate it. There's a sign-up sheet on the foyer board. Um, if you can sign that, we'd greatly appreciate it. Um, it needs done once a week. Um, if you can just help out one time, we'd love uh, your help on that. Um, updates on our prayer list. Remember, continue to keep Jimmy Wilgus, Terry Leap, Jim Haney, and Amber Spitzer in your prayers as they go through their cancer treatments at this time. Uh, keep their family and their members uh, and their family members and nurses uh, in your prayers. Uh, keep uh, Karina Calicote in your prayers. Uh, she's not doing well. Uh, keep uh, Charlie and Alice Boso also in your prayers at this time as well. And Leslie Maynard uh, has double pneumonia, and she's at Cavill, so keep her in your prayers as well. Uh, that's all the announcements I have. I'm looking forward to seeing everybody again at 6 o'clock this evening. We will sing one more song and be dismissed in prayer. Let's please stand again. We'll sing hymn number 660, There Is a Habitation. <clears throat> we'll sing the first and third verse, and then Brother Kevin Harvey will have a prayer. <clears throat> There is a Pray with me, please. Heavenly Father, as we come to you once again today, Father, we're truly thankful for everything that you bless us with in this life. We're so thankful for our jobs and our families and the country in which we live in. Father, we pray you'll continue to be with the church here at Rome and all the good works that are going on, that you'll bless every effort that's being put forth. Pray for the preschool, Father. Pray for the new school, Father, that you'll bless it and make it a success. 
continue to let those know, Father, the ones that teach us in Bible class, Father, that their work is not in vain. Father, we pray for all the shut-ins, that you'll let them know that they're still loved and cared for and not forgotten, Father. Help us to help them in any way that we can. Father, we pray for all those that are on the sick list, each and every one of them. You know what their needs are, Father, that you bless them and bless doctors and help them to get better, if it be thy will. And thank you for all those ones that you have blessed, Father, and, and have healed, Father. Most of all, Father, we pray for our shortcomings, that you'll continue to be with us and help us to be the example and make this world a better place to live in, Father. And forgive us of our sins. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.